You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Dude, you guys, I got all kinds of notes today, which is, so bear with me. This is what's happening. I'm going to teach today, like heavy teaching. And, um, you know, usually I speak uh, a little bit different format than this, but I felt like today um, we were supposed to dive in to something. So, um, so I got all these notes. I wrote them down by hand and highlighted things. Yeah, and that's just, and that's just, and that's not counting the phone, which holds my entire Bible and my notes, multiple versions of my entire Bible. Yeah, what a cool phone, huh? Well, good morning. It is Palm Sunday. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Got two fans of Palm Sunday. (laughs) They're a dying breed, huh? <laughs> one for each hand. One palm. Oh, so fun. How many of you have been in church where you have palm branches and you all wave them during worship? Isn't that fun? What happened to that? Jeez. Right, we're having a palm shortage. That's what happened. So, yeah. <clears throat> Supply shortage for palms. Uh, so, everybody, okay, so in case you don't know, Palm Sunday was the Sunday that Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. And everyone was celebrating. And so what it looked like was this. Uh, you know, Chris talked about him riding on a young colt and a, and a young donkey. And um, so Jesus is going into the city. He tells his disciples there's going to be, right when you go into the city, look to your right or left. I don't know which one it was. But there's going to be a donkey and a colt. And you're going to go get those for me. And if anybody has anything to say about it, if the owner has any problem, you just tell them that the Lord needs it. And I think that's so funny, first of all. That you're just going to walk in and grab this person's stuff, and then they're like, if they say, hey, what are you doing? You're like, don't you fret. The Lord needs it. And you just walk off with their possessions, and they're going to be fine with it, which is exactly what happened. They were like, no, no problem. Please take them, which I think is so funny that Jesus just lived that life, right? You would get arrested. Jesus, it's totally not absurd at all. It's just normal. So he, so they, he gets on, they put their cloaks on the back of it, and then he gets on it. And as he enters the city, first of all, there's a large crowd that's celebrating. They're yelling out Hosanna, which Hosanna has two different meanings. One is a cry of praise. Another one is a cry for help, right? But they're both to the Lord. So how many of you have got your Hosannas in this year? Both. Both. A cry of help and a cry of praise, right? Like some of them sounded the same. <laughs> You're like, yeah. it's spelled the same. It sounds the same. There's a mixture in there. I'm crying for help and praising you, Lord. But anyway, they were, they were crying out Hosanna. And they would throw their cloaks down on the road in front of them. And then people started grabbing branches. They grabbed palm branches from the fields next to it. And they laid them down on the road, like escorting them in. It was the red carpet for Jesus. This is the, um, the initiating of the Holy Week, Right? as he's walking to the cross one step at a time. This morning I wanted to talk about Palm Sunday, um, but I I want to highlight why this is important, maybe from a different direction than we have on a Palm Sunday. Um, In getting ready this week and praying and seeing, kind of like feeling out what the Lord wanted to do. um, I've read a lot, that's why I have so many notes, but I've read a lot. And, um, and I just felt like the Lord kept leading me back to uh, why this is important and to understand why this is important. We have to like back step all the way back to the beginning and start there. That's why I have so many notes. We're going to go through the entirety of history. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, but I want to talk to you this morning about covenant. 
and why covenant is important and why this is a celebration today and why it was so important then because of covenant. And I think it's so freeing to realize the covenant we live in now. And I think there's, there's definitely in church through the history of church, there's been a lot of mixture in teaching of, of the covenant we live in. And so you'll, you'll hear some of that mixture as I talk about some of these covenants and what they mean. There were different kinds of covenants, uh, and, and they were cultural, and there were different covenants that Israel went into with God, different uh, covenants God made with man. Um, some were with a man, some were with a nation, right? And so each covenant was different, and God was seemingly different in the Old Testament than he is now. And as a young Christian, I always, that was the question in my mind, like, how do you, how do you process God from the Old Testament and God from the New Testament? Like, he just calmed down? Or uh, anybody else? Anybody else? He's like, all right, I'm done with wiping people out. I will no longer smite. I'll just, uh, you know, I'll just chill with people now. And you're like, how did that happen? You know, it, it, it wasn't a change in God. It was a change in man. So we've got to understand this. God is a God of covenant. And covenant is an agreement. An agreement that God makes is an agreement that God will never break. Because God is a man of his word, he will never break his word. In fact, the first covenant ever made was with Adam. And he said that I have called you to rule over the earth. And, and, and everyone that came after Adam, right? You will rule over the earth. You'll be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Now, Adam forfeited his part, Adam and Eve forfeited their part of that covenant, which is a catastrophic reason why the world is the way it is today, even today, right? Like, do, you, do we all agree that? Like, there's still ramifications of man forfeiting that. And as a church, we've been, like, stumbling our way back towards truly standing in the authority that we were given and the call that we were given and the purpose that we were given, right? How many of you would agree that we don't fully stand in it? Like we don't, okay, Jake and, and you too. And uh, so this is where we're at. So God makes this covenant with Adam uh, and it was a conditional covenant and that's where covenant started, right? And so as we look down through the ages, we see different covenants. Where I'm going to talk through them right now. So the different kinds of covenants. This is going to be very teachy this morning, which is a little different for me. So just, you can still amen just to make me feel better about this. Amen. Thank you. So there are three different kinds of covenants. One is a kinship covenant. One is a vassal covenant. And one is a royal grant covenant, okay? So those three. I'm going to talk about what they are. A kinship covenant is two equal parties making an agreement, okay? They make an agreement, and usually there's some stipulations in there like uh, marriage or land or animals or something in there that one trades to the other. It's a straight-up agreement, right? Like, uh, like if I'm selling a car, I tell you this is what I want for the car. You pay that for the car. We've both held up our end of the deal. The car better be what I said it was. And you... This is the thing. With covenants, this is how they would do it. They would take an animal, an animal worthy of sacrifice, and they would cut that animal in half and drag the two halves apart like this. Kind of gnarly, right? You guys are too quiet for me to teach today. I feel like this has got to be like, this is going to be the crowd that I should have told testimonies to, but I'm not going to do that because that's not what the Lord told me to do. So get with it, people. So they would drag the animal apart and its entrails would literally be strung across. Thank you. Somebody's listening. Entrails and blood would be strung apart like this. And the two parties 
would walk through together, sometimes holding hands, but would walk through together over the entrails, and they would make their agreement. And walking through together was the handshake of the agreement. And what that meant was, if I break my side of the deal, then there's a curse that comes with this. And the curse is, may I end up like this animal, right? Or they would make an agreement different than that, like you break your end of the deal. Some of them weren't as drastic as that, but you break your end of the deal, and this is the payment you have to make. Like, this is what follows. Some were wars. Some were, like, wiping out families, things like that. Gnarly, right? So two equal parts, making an agreement together, is a kinship covenant. Uh, Caesarean vassal covenant. We'll call it a vassal covenant. Uh, A king would make a promise to his subjects or there would be a treaty between kings. So it was usually a vassal covenant was one powerful person and a less powerful group of people, right? So a king would make uh, promises to his people, but they were conditional promises. So the promises would be, I will do this, I promise, but you have to keep up your side of the deal, which is these 10 things or these 15 things or whatever, right? So a king would say, I will bless you if you do this. You got that? That's a vassal covenant. And then there's a royal grant covenant. So we're about to move out of these. Just stick with me here. There's a royal grant covenant. Um, And in a royal grant covenant, the powerful party would make a promise with no action required from the other person. So a king would make a decree or a promise, and there was no action required. If we were the people, the king would make a promise, and there was no action required from us. It was, this is what I'm going to do no matter what, right? So a royal grant covenant, no action required, part of the beneficiary. The only thing you could do is you could miss out on those promises just by not receiving them, right? Like you could go somewhere else, and the pro- you know what I mean? The promise would be there, but you're not there to receive it, right? Uh, with, with other covenants, you could miss out on them by disobedience, and that disobedience came with the curse of whatever that promise said too. So this is the promise. You don't do what you do. This is what's going to happen to you. Everybody with that? Okay. So Adam had a promise. The, the, the next covenant, like they don't really, it, Adam's covenant isn't really mentioned as a big covenant in the Bible, um, even though it is the first covenant. It kind of stays there and isn't really talked about much more. But some of the covenants that are really talked about and the covenants that whole nations were brought into is the first one is Noah's covenant, right? So Noah had a grant covenant. That was the last one we just talked about, a royal grant covenant. And Noah's royal grant covenant was this. God told Noah that he would never flood the entire earth again. You and all your descendants can expect me to be a man of my word. I will never flood the entire earth again. Side note, when I was a, uh, so when I say young Christian, I mean I was actually young. Because I got saved again later. Like, well, saved again. Whatever. But. I walk back into the promises of this royal grant covenant that we sit in now where I had walked away from for a little bit and I was not receiving. But I, uh, when I came back to, to Jesus, because he never went anywhere, uh, I, I, that was a hard one for me to, because I'd hear about floods, you know, floods in Australia and floods here and floods there. And I'm like, but I thought that was the promise. The promise was that I, God, will never purposely toward you in, in, a, uh, in an act of anger or wrath, flood the entire earth and wipe out humanity ever again. Okay, so does that one clear for you? I feel like I have to say these things because if, if I thought it, maybe I'm just a little slower than everybody or maybe someone else out there also thought the same thing. So if you're like, why is he explaining so simple things? That's why. Um, and then the next covenant is this. It's the, it's the covenant that God made with Abraham, right? So this is a big one. And Abraham's covenant was a royal grant covenant. He said, these are the promises that God made to Abraham. I will make you a great nation, right? I will bless you. 
I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's rad, right? This is the thing. It was a royal grant covenant, which meant there was nothing Abraham had to do to make it happen. Like there was some physical action that needed to take place. God said, leave the land you're in. Uh, don't take Ur with you. Don't take Lot with you. Uh, go to this land. Da, 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 da. Abraham waited 10 years. So God said, go now. Abraham's like, all right. Like now is, you know, it's such a loose term, God. So, I mean, they did live forever back then, but still 10 years is a long time, I think. And so, like I said, with a grant covenant, you don't, you don't disqualify yourself through action, but sometimes inability to act can just prolong the promise, right? So he waited 10 years. Uh, he wasn't supposed to take Lot with him. He took Lot with him. You're like, okay, he broke them. Like, come on, bro. Like, there was only a few things you were supposed to do. Uh, he, he gave his wife to a king, right? Like, the, he, he was afraid, so he get, and he lied, and he did all these things, right? But never once did God retract the covenant he made with him because God's a God of his word, and it was a royal grant covenant. And so he had a covenant that said, I will hold up my end, and there's nothing you need to do. It's just a blessing toward you, right? Are you with me? Good. Um, and then there's the Mosaic Covenant, Moses, right? And the Mo <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> oh, no, this is a good one. This is a fun one. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant, so that is the Vassal Covenant. And remember, we talked about a Vassal Covenant. A king would make a promise to his subjects or a treaty, and it was a conditional promise, right? A conditional promise. What we need to understand is God never changed through all of Scripture, but God was trying to relate to man, and man constantly, when God would try to pull man into an intimate connection with himself, man would say, just give us some rules. But, okay, then I will come into a covenant of your liking. I will enter into an agreement on your terms, and I'll tell you what I need to do, and then you, this is what you'll need to do. And then God's like, hey, let's have relationship and intimacy and the people are like you freak us out could you just give us a king and he's like all right well i'm trying to be your king but if you're scared of me right like i'm convinced god wanted all the people to go up to the mountain and they're like no go for us right because he wanted intimacy right so this is what happened in the garden with adam why that's so important is adam and god communed together they walked in the garden in the cool of the day together, right? They would share, God would ask Adam questions. God had commissioned Adam, to, like commissioned, you're on the mission with me. Name the animals, what do you wanna name? God had made Adam a creator with him, the creator, right? Like here, let's do this thing together. It was always God's plan to walk hand in hand with his people. And so when Adam and Eve broke covenant, the one thing they were asked not to do, they had a, a I don't want to say Disneyland because that might be a cuss word in here now, but uh, a, a, a wonderland of the garden. The garden wasn't just like, an, I mean, I, I, I have so many gardens saved on my pictures and everything because I'm fascinated by good gardens. If you're not, then you're missing out. But I imagine the Garden of Eden put them all to shame, right? Man uses wood borders and things and rock and metal to try to keep their garden contained. And God had this perfect system, right? Beautiful system. And they forfeited the perfect, beautiful system by doing the one thing 
a wonderland of awesome. One thing. And the apple gets a bad review, right? Because they're like, oh, it must have been an apple. Who told you that? It doesn't actually say that, but we need like a visual, right? It was an apple. It was a blood red apple. <laughs> and Eve, right? Adam's like, the woman you gave me, God. She did. Adam forfeited closeness with God. And then there was a curse. So now we get to the Mosaic Covenant, the Vassal Covenant, or what we would call the Old Covenant in the Bible, right? This is important. We know this stuff. And the Vassal Covenant, or the Old Covenant, demanded obedience to receive blessings, okay? There were curses for lack of obedience. This is where sin was defined. So before this, sin was not defined the way that it is when the Mosaic Covenant comes around. Sin is now defined. This is what you will not do. This is what you will do. If you will do these things, this is what you can expect. If you will not do these things, this is what you can expect, right? It's good cop, bad cop. You can get a blessing or you can get a curse. It is entirely on you. But what I will tell you is this. Since you want law and you want kings and you want these things, I'm going to give you all the law that your little heart can handle. And so there was so much law that they could not possibly satisfy the appetite of the law. Are you with me? So there's all these things. There was so much law, you know, they had sacrifices. So now in the Mosaic Covenant, there's blessing and curse, and everyone sins, and so you had to sacrifice animals in order to atone for your sins, right? And so they, some of the sacrifices, like the first sacrifice is an ignorant sin sacrifice. So this was this. There were so many laws. You could break a law on accident. And this is where a lot of us get our definition of, of uh, sin. We call it missing the mark. Th that only applies to this one action. And it is ignorant sin or accidental sin. There were so many laws you could accidentally sin. You didn't premeditate it. You didn't do it on purpose. You just forgot one of the 630-something <laughs> things that you were supposed to do. And you're like, dang it! <laughs> right? And so you got to take a two-year-old female, uh, or it's not a lamb, I guess it's a you, and you have to sacrifice it to make up for your mistake, right? Kill the thing. This was the thing that I think is so uh, brilliant about this covenant also, is you didn't take it to the priest and they killed it. You didn't take it to the, the guy that slaughters the sheep and they do it, and you're like, yep, that's mine, that's mine, I'm being covered now, I'm, you know, my sins are all, you had to do it yourself, they would take it and they would hold it and they would put their hand on its head and they would look it in the eyes and they would have to dispatch it themselves. The one who committed the sin had to do the act, right? It is all in your hands. So they would do that. Accidental sin. And then there was one, the guilt offering. And that was for, that was a sacrifice made, you had to take a young bull or a ram. And that was a sacrifice made for, you are guilty. You did it on purpose, it was premeditated, or you knew better, and you passed all the checkpoints and said, I'm going to do it anyway, right? And then there was uh, other offerings for other things. There was a grain offering, so there was a, a um, peace offering. Um, there was a grain offering for transformation. 
So there was grain that you would take, and it was finely milled flour. It was the best that you could find, and then you put oil in it and water in it, and then there was a wine offering to go with that, and it was a transformational offering. The only way you could do that is if you were already cleansed by offering your other animals up, right? So your sin had to be covered through these other offerings, and then once you got through that stage, if you had more, like if you were rolling and you had more animals, you could just offer up, then you could go into these other offerings, and then when you finally got to the transformation offering, you bring your best flour and your wine and your oil, and you make this offering, and it was an offering of peace and transformation, and you give this up to God, right? Jesus, the bread of life, comes to satisfy the old covenant, and so they would offer up all the ingredients for bread and the wine, like kind of like what we did this morning, and it's still kind of the same. Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me, right? And he said, but... If you come with your gift and you go to take the wafer and the, and the juice that's turning into wine in the little uh, cups that we take, it really is. You can taste that little tinge of like, it's fermenting. Um, <laughs> but when you do that, Jesus says, Jesus says, don't take this. If you, have, if you know your brother has something against you, don't take it. Go. And settle things with your brother and then come back to your gift, right? And so it's still the same. And this is how it was. They had to be cleansed of their sin through offerings. Then they could move into this offering of transformation. And this offering of transformation was an offering that was believed to bring them closer to the Father, right? Because in the garden, there was a separation that happened. There was a chasm that happened through the act of, people say one man, but one couple. There was an act that separated them from the Father and Ever since that separation, God and man had been struggling to close that chasm, right? Are you with me? I know it's a lot of words, guys. Thanks. I was thinking this morning, because some of you are a big fan of the little to-go cups, and um, it's not anybody's fault but my own, but I'm just not really into them, just because of the flavor. Uh, that wafer gets me every time. But as I took it this morning, I was like, do I want to take it, or should I say this? I think my brother has something against me. I probably shouldn't partake of this little... This, no, I'm just joking. That was my joke for today. Yeah. I know, no, no, I can't take it because... I'm sorry, bro. Will you forgive me for making fun of the little things? No, he said no. So the Mosaic Covenant. This is the covenant with Moses. And you can see the, the, uh, the playing out of this covenant in this way. Whenever Moses as the leader, would do exactly as God said, the people were blessed, right? Whenever Moses or the people would step outside of what God asked for them, what would happen? Plagues and curses and things, right? Like, strike the rock this time. I didn't tell you to strike the rock that time, right? Like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, to the point where Moses never made it into the promised land. Why? Because there is a heavy weight a requirement, a responsibility on your actions in this covenant. Your actions determine your blessing, not the other way around. If it were the actions of God that determined your blessing, then all are blessed, right? But when it's the actions of man that determines blessing, it's a constant struggle, a constant fight. It's a tug of war between the two sides of man's heart, right? Do good, do bad. It's all the way back to the cartoons we watched as kids with the little voice on this shoulder telling you, no, don't do it, right? Why? It, was always, it was always a weak voice on this side, right? It was like, please, it could barely even stand on the shoulder. It's like, I'm so weak, I don't know what to do. And on this side, you had this little devil that was like, hey, man, 
let me just bend your ear for a minute, right? <laughs> it's like so cool. Why do they make the bad one cool? They're like, hey, bro, let's talk for a minute. Hey, I think you're super cool. You think I'm super cool, so hey, do this. <laughs> As a kid, I was always like, why do I want to be bad? Because <laughs> they made him cool, right? Like leather jacket, little guy, and the other one's like, in a gown, white gown, and you're like, ah, I'm more into leather jackets at that point as a kid. I feel like I could ride a Harley or something. Anyway, isn't that funny? Make it so enticing. So you can see the difference between Abraham's and Moses' covenant. Abraham's covenant, he did everything to screw it up, and the promise stands. Moses, on the other hand, like, read about him. Did a lot to make it happen did a lot to make it happen. Yeah, screwed up. But pe the people, really, like, right? Like, these are your people, God. <laughs> God said, your people? Moses is like, well, wait, let's get this one straight. I didn't make them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but the people with Moses together just screwed a lot of stuff up and paid the price for it. Wandering around for 40 years aimlessly. That's a price. 40 years of struggle. 40 years of like, historians say they made up so much ground a day that, like, the, the camp was so big that the people in the back, w when they stopped for the next day, wouldn't entirely get out of the old camp, right? Like, Susie's kids' diapers were on the ground next to you, and you're like, we're still in camp. It's been a day of walking, and we're still in camp, right? Forty years of that. I will bless you if you do this. I will curse you if you do this. Abraham... 10 years late, still stands. Gives his wife away, I'll still bless you. Does things wrong, takes a lot with him. He's told, do not, leave him here. And he's like, I think I'll take him with me. <laughs> like, what does that sound like in your mind? 10 years went by, he's like, oh, I forgot that part, God. It's been 10 years, and God's like, please. <laughs> But he's like, I'll bless you anyway. The blessing stands. Why? Because it's a royal grant covenant. It's a king saying, I will bless you no matter what. It has nothing to do with your actions. Um, now let's get into, okay. So blessing and curses. And then Jesus comes on the scene, right? So for, for ever and ever, they're living under a Mosaic covenant. So forever and ever, the children of Israel are trying to do everything in their power to do this right right? So all these covenants were to, by God, they were set up uh, to set Israel apart from all the other nations. And so this covenant was to set them apart. So all the things they couldn't do was to set them apart from all the other people who did all those things freely. All the things they were supposed to do were to set them apart from the other people who worshiped other gods and did other things, right? Sanctified, set apart. They were a sacrificial people, and this is where they were at. And then Jesus steps on the scene and starts saying a completely different message. And it's confusing to people, right? Like he steps on the scene and he is the son of God. He's coming as the son of God. It's prophesied for years and years. In the book of Isaiah, all through the Old Testament, it's prophesied that there will be a savior. The people got in their mind that it's going to look a certain way, right? He's going to come riding in on a white charger. He's going to slay all our enemies. He's going to have hosts of angels behind him like he is a man of war coming in, and he is going to kill everybody. He's going to step up, and he's going to sit on the throne, and he's going to take dominion, and we are going to be a blessed race, and we are going to rule and reign over everyone, right? 
because that's kind of how it sounded when you read it through a certain lens. Jesus shows up as a baby, completely, like we talked about this during Christmas, right? Completely helpless. It says that uh, the shepherds were told that he was in the inn. I always read it as a kid or saw it in plays that there was no room for him. Poor Jesus. Not, they didn't even make room for Jesus. Like the people didn't even give, like the guy didn't even say, hey, I'll make room in a room. No, you go sleep with the animals, Jesus, right? Like that's how it was seen for me. I was like, dang, that's rough. Born in a manger because people are so evil. They didn't even make room for him. No, actually it was to fulfill the promise. It was to fulfill the decree. It was to, to fulfill the prophecy. See, Jesus came because man had been, first of all, let's just think of the number of animals that were killed just for these covenants alone. Like two a day, morning and night, as just a peace offering for every day. I, I'm like, dang, that dude, he was in the right market raising those things, right? And then they had to kill him for their sin. And then they had to kill him for their accidental sin. And then there was other like ceremonies and things where you're gonna kill an animal. And so they were, they were used to sacrificing sheep to the slaughter to atone for the things that they had done. Jesus shows up on the scene and he is born in a manger, and they catch him in swaddling clothes, and they put him in the manger. The exact same way they handled the sheep that were born for slaughter, for sacrifice. They would be born, and they could not touch the ground because then it was spotted, right? It was not free from blemish. It had to be a sheep without blemish, a lamb without blemish. So they caught them in, excuse me. Thank you. They caught them in swaddling clothes, firstborn. They caught them in swaddling clothes, which was Jesus. They caught them in swaddling clothes, right? So it was no accident that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes because he was here to show that, look, he's not the king coming in riding on a charger slaying the enemies. He is born as a lamb that will walk itself slowly to its slaughter. I mean, you got to see this stuff. That's, that alone right there we could sit on, we could stay on, we could look at. Absolutely beautiful. There's no room for him in the end? No. He could not be born in the end. Because every single picture of his life, everything he did, every step he took, every miracle that happened in his ministry, the way he was born, the way he related with people, the way he walked through life, the way he looked at the Father, and the way he died was all to fulfill what needed to be fulfilled. It was the appetite of sin and death and a covenant of law that was saying you will never add up and we could never add up. In fact, sacrificing animals did not satisfy the sin. It just covered it for a time. So they could go on sacrificing animals for eternity and still have to stand in judgment for everything they did. The only way that the appetite of this covenant would be satisfied, because the new covenant, when you look at it, it's a covenant of both uh, physical and spiritual. The only way it could be satisfied was with a spotless lamb, never once had it sinned, never had it stepped outside the Father's will, right? So there was no man or woman on earth that could meet the requirement. So we needed someone spotless. The other thing was a man, a spirit man, why? Because the covenant that was about to be ushered in was not just a physical covenant. If you do this, I'll bless you. It was not just a physical covenant of I'll bless all your descendants on earth. It was a covenant of eternal life. 
It was a covenant that spanned through the physical and into the spiritual forever, right? And so there had to be a sacrifice that could satisfy both sides. There had to be a sacrifice that was spotless, but also was anchored in a spiritual world that could usher our souls into eternity. This is exciting. It had to be a sacrifice that could fully satisfy sin and death because sin brought in death. That was the curse of sin, right? Death. And so a man couldn't die for another man. It took the divine to come in to the frail body of man, to live its life spotless and blameless, to take on the entirety of the weight of expectation of the Mosaic Covenant, to take on the entirety of the curse, even though Jesus never stepped outside the law. He took the entirety of the curse on himself, the entirety of death, right? Lacey talked about it. He ascended and descended. The Mosaic covenant was a covenant that said, no matter what you do, you will always fall short. All have sinned and fallen short, right? That's where the saying comes from. All have sinned and fallen short. So the Mosaic covenant said, every one of you has fallen short and not one of you can dig yourself out of this ditch. You can try to limp your way through this covenant, doing everything you possibly can, but at the end, you will be found wanting. That was the Mosaic Covenant. Rough, right? Okay, you ready to get out of that one? Yeah. You're never in it. That's good. Thanks, Chris. I like that. So in that covenant, let's just go one more time over the, uh, the sacrifice that was made. So there was the sin sacrifice for, for ignorant sin, right? Accidental sin. There was a sin sacrifice for purposeful sin or the guilt sacrifice. Um, there was the dedication sacrifice after that where you'd make a sacrifice dedicating yourself back to God, right? Then there was the peace sacrifice. So you'd make a sacrifice and it would be for peace, that you would be able to receive peace because man was living in turmoil, Right? In the garden, what was brought into the garden was turmoil. It was suffering. It was work. It was toil would be the actual word. Toil means to be frustrated in suffering to try to get something done. So there was the the peace offering. And then the fifth one was the transformation offering. And that was the one where there was bread and there was wine offered or the ingredients of bread and wine offered. And that was the transformation. So you would... Uh, uh, atone for your, for your accidental sin by killing an animal. You would atone for your purposeful sin by killing another animal. You would, you would then dedicate yourself by killing another animal. And then you would kill another animal so that you would receive peace, right? Because this is where you were trying to get as a person is a place where you could actually huh, relax a little bit. Why? Because you were bearing the weight of your own decisions. And then the fifth and final one or for this is the transformational one. And that is where you uh, offer up the ingredients of bread and wine. And what it was was a communion with God, a union with God that brought you in closer. And the Father, you could see the Father's face. You were brought in close to the Father. And this was a transformational one because you become what you behold. And so after I took care of all this stuff, then I would be ushered into this holy place with God, right? Does that make sense to you? Okay. And then Jesus is on the scene, and this is the covenant that Jesus brings. It is the royal grant covenant, but it is a better covenant. So Jesus comes and he dies, 
born as a lamb, lives spotless, and dies as the ultimate sacrifice. Not just to satisfy or settle what had happened, but to satisfy and settle everything and anything that had happened, could happen, or would happen. Right? So all of eternity rests inside Jesus. So when people start to argue and they go, well, actually, I think what it was was he set us on, uh, uh, he put us in a good spot to start from. Right? He took care of your past and he set you in a good, that's not actually what it says though. He actually satisfies all of eternity in his one sacrifice, which is really hard for the church to, to settle because, listen, when they walked into this new covenant, the, the uh, Israelites started teaching the Gentiles the laws of the old covenant because they thought it's just too easy for them to get saved and come right into a royal grant covenant where they're like, nothing's expected of you, just receive. Like, if you just believe, you get all these things. And they're like, that's far too easy. For hundreds of years, we've been killing things and doing things, and they're going to do the same so they can figure out what it feels like, right? So the early church was teaching this mixture in so many ways, and there were so many arguments and things and fights over this stuff because they they couldn't let go of the law. They thought that's just too easy. And how many of you know that we still kind of live in that place where we weren't even alive then, but somehow in our DNA it was passed down through our, our earthly DNA was passed down to us to work for love and try to satisfy your mistakes through your own works to the point where, do you remember when they took the 10 commandments out of the courtrooms? I'm going to push some buttons right now. The Ten Commandments was part of the Mosaic Covenant. They were carved in stone. Why? Because they couldn't be carved on your heart. Because you had a bad heart. And so they carved them in stone. And what did we do? We put them in our courtrooms. Who goes to court? People that make mistakes. Who gets to see those? People that make mistakes. As a Christian society, we pushed and fought to keep the Ten Commandments. And if you did, I understand you can do things with a good heart and miss the mark still. We pushed and fought to keep the Ten Commandments up in front of a society that wasn't saved. And we wanted them to follow the rules without salvation. And Jesus paid for a covenant that looked like a royal grant covenant of I'll do all the work. You reap the benefits. All you have to do is believe. But we fight to keep the Ten Commandments. And I remember when they pulled the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse, people said, our nation's going to go to hell. <laughs> there is no physical representation of what people should do at the courthouse. Now, guess how they got there? <laughs> Paul says, I was the chief sinner. Hey, this guy, I know what the inside of a courthouse looks like. I know what the inside of a jail cell looks like. I know what a lot of things like the inside of a cop car looks like. I remember when they went from soft seats to hard seats in the cop cars. I thought, that's an injustice. <laughs> I guess they're easier to clean. I remember the first time getting in one and going, ow. You know, the whole watch your head thing, too. They do that on purpose. If you're a cop, let me in on the secret. You do that stuff on purpose, watch your head. Ding, ow. <laughs> I knew all those things. Chief Center, I knew I was a mistake. In fact, I had it embroidered across my forehead or tattooed across my forehead. Mistake. And the church fought for sinners to see that they're sinners by keeping the Ten Commandments up. But the new covenant is this. Jesus said it's a royal, it's a royal grant covenant. Jesus said, I have a better covenant for you. And he said, these are the things you can expect from me. I will no longer hold your sins against you. Yeah, and people are like, well, let's describe that. 
Because people are going to get wild if they think that means what they, they just read. So let's describe that. This is what that means. And people try to put stipulations to the promise. And I'm telling you, this promise is so wild and it's so extravagant that it doesn't seem like it should be right, but it is. And we've fought for thousands of years to make it not right. I don't know why we do it, but we do it. We, we fought to, can we get back to working for some stuff? Like, can I just look an animal in its eyes and kill it myself for the things that I've done? Like, what? We did, actually. We hung one on the cross. He says, I will no longer hold your sins against you, too. I will give you a new heart. This is important. Because you still hear it preached from pulpits that you have a bad heart. Well, then, he never died. And I never believed. Come on. Bring it. It gets quiet when you say this stuff. And then some people get loud, which I do appreciate. But... <laughs> Hopefully you're just thinking and you're not going, this guy, heresy. (laughs) Number three, my laws will not be written in stone. Where will they be? Etched on your new heart. That there will be no external governor telling you, you better if you don't, right? If fear's present, they'll listen. But the minute fear's not present, people go, ah, because they don't have an external governor anymore. I've talked about it before in here, prisoners in prison. 85% return rate. Why? Because there's an 85% return rate because it's all external governors, not teaching anybody to govern themselves, but telling them what you can do, when you can do it, how you can do it. If you ever step out of line, there's a curse. And then they get out of prison and no one's doing that anymore. And they're like, party! And as long as the church tries to stick with laws that are etched in stone, we will have the same thing. That's why people have to preach scary messages so that your butt will get back here for another dose of scary. Because if you're here, then you're adding points to your registry of I get to get into heaven someday. But a true message of grace sounds like this. I will no longer hold your sins against you. I will give you a new heart. My laws will not be written in stone. I will place my spirit within you was the last one. I will place my spirit within you. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, dies. Why? So you don't have to make an offering or a sacrifice to receive peace. You get to believe and receive the Prince of Peace. His spirit will live inside of you. Your accidental sin, no longer will he recognize it. You don't have to kill anything. Why? Because someone was killed for you and took the weight of every mistake you accidentally made on their shoulder and died with it. It died with him. In fact, the Bible says, I have separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. I drove a U-Haul multiple times from the east to the west, just of our nation. He's talking the real east to the west. We think the east to the west is the United States. The United States is not the center of the world. We believe it is, but it's not. There's an entire world out there. Other people speak other languages. They do other things. Culturally, things are different. Some things are cool in other places that are not cool here. Some things are cool here that are not cool in other places. We are not the end all be all. Jesus said the east from the west. He didn't mean the east coast of, you know, this this land to the, the west coast of California. He meant the east that way? To the, the west. Far apart. He separated it from you. You no longer own it. He bought it and paid for it. Separated you from it and you don't have access to it anymore. To the point where when God looks at you, he doesn't see your mistakes, but he sees the sacrifice that Jesus made. You are covered with the blood in such a way that God does not recognize you as evil. That's got to be exciting. 
I'm going to bring this to you close. He is the bread of life. You no longer have to make a bread sacrifice. You no longer have to bring your best grain and oil and water and all the ingredients to make bread. Why? Because he's the bread of life. And we get to consume him. And the wine that was added to the sacrifice. There's a new wine. It doesn't belong in old wineskins. Why? Because that old wineskin cannot contain the promise. When we start to mix the two, we end up with a church fighting for the Ten Commandments instead of fighting for the souls of people. Because that external governor will stand in our place and do what we were called to do. There's too much responsibility there. So we fight tooth and nail to keep those Ten Commandments in there. And we fight to keep prayer in classrooms. And listen, I'm part of the fight to keep prayer in classrooms. But then it's gone and we're like, oh, our schools are going to go to hell now. Why? Because they didn't have kids standing there doing this in front of the sinners to tell the sinners that they're, they're living wrong, right? And so we do all these things to try to uh, keep alive this dead covenant when we live in a new covenant that looks like receiving the promise. He is the bread of life, and he has supplied the wine. Why? The wine is his spirit. That was a transformation sacrifice. You have been transformed, and you will continue to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like this new covenant, the, that's why this is such an exciting time for us. It's an exciting week. It's a time to celebrate and throw palm branches out in front of them. It's a time to throw your cloak, your covering on the ground before him. It's a time to usher him into your life. It's a time to reclaim the promises. You cannot forfeit the promises in a grant covenant. You can only prolong them. Like Abraham, you can make it wait 10 years before you leave. You can bring the wrong person with you, you know, even though he told you not to. Don't sell your wife to another king, but I mean, Abraham did, and still he got the promise. We want to add all these rules and lists and things to stuff that he didn't. He kept it simple, and it's too good to be true. But it's true still. It's too good to be true in our fickle little weak minds. But it was what he wanted all along. From the time of the fall until the time of the sacrifice, heaven was yearning for connection. For God so loved. He didn't hate the world. For God so loved the world that he gave the spotless lamb, the bread of life. The one whose first miracle turned water to wine turn something so natural that anybody could get into something that you can't do that. He showed, this is what I've come to the scene for. This is what I'm supplying. This is what I'm ushering you into. Prince of peace. Now our covenant looks like receive peace. Why? Because you're in relationship with the one who possesses it. Transformation. Why? Because you're in a relationship with the one who transforms Forgiveness, why? Because you're in a relationship with the one who forgives. It's a good day to be alive. It's a good time to figure out who we are and whose we are. It's a good time to remind ourselves the covenant we live in is not the old covenant. It was completely satisfied to the point where in Romans, Paul says it's obsolete. People are still arguing about that one. They are. People are still arguing about that one. Like, 
Wasted time. Well, let's prolong some promises by arguing. <laughs> Come on. He died for all. And this is the one that will screw with you, mess with you. he's on the cross I don't want to steal any Easter messages but he's on the cross I just read this my friend Graham posted it I'll hack it but I'm going to destroy it but I'm going to get close he's on the cross and who does he look over to next to him the thief who never believed the thief who never sacrificed the thief who never atoned for accidental sin, the thief who never atoned for purposeful sin, the thief who never gave any kind of guilt offerings, the thief who had never been baptized by John, the thief who was hanging on the cross paying for his mistakes. And what did Jesus say to that thief? There is a place for you. That's the covenant that he ushered in. And you would say, but wait a minute. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. <laughs> wait a minute. He can't just get in. It says right there, and our tenants tell us this, and you don't receive the Holy Spirit without doing this. Did he speak in tongues at least first? <laughs> no. He's probably spoken other tongues because he's about to die. Who knows what he was saying up there, right? Doesn't talk a lot about that. But I'll tell you this. Jesus accepted him. Why? Because Jesus came to be the ultimate fulfilling sacrifice for all of it to accept all mankind into him. And all we have to do to hold up our end of the deal is not a blessing and curse. All we have to do is just believe the promise. And as you believe the promise, you get to receive the promise. And that's it. You can prolong the promise by not believing the promise, but you can never cancel the promise. You cannot wait 10 years too long for the promise to happen. You can't do too many bad things for that promise. Jesus looks at murderers and he says, there's a place for you. Jesus looks at alcoholics, he says, there's a place for you. Jesus looks at adulterers, says, there's a place for you. Jesus looks at the church and says, there's even a place for you. It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to stand in the promise. It's a good day to take our authority back. Just pick it up, actually. It's a good day to preach a good message on the real salvation, Right? It's a good day to preach the gospel. It doesn't sound like, if you do these 10 things, then you could come to our church. Believe and you shall receive. Can you stand with me? I didn't look at my real notes here. I wrote all these beautiful notes. Oh. Yes. Can we pray? Before we pray, I'm going to read this verse to you. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written me in the scrolls of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first 
in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. He completely satisfied it. He put his spirit within us. He's written the laws on our heart that we should live above the law. Why? Because we have a new heart and we have been transformed. So we live by his ways, not out of rules and external governors, but we live by his ways out of joy and peace and hope and love and these things that stir inside of us. So Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for Palm Sunday. I thank you for the celebration that happened back then when they were screaming out, Hosanna. Lord, I think they they didn't realize how good it was going to be. They didn't realize how important that celebration was. They were celebrating, but they were celebrating you as the prophet. And God, today we celebrate you, Jesus, as our Savior. We celebrate you as our King. We celebrate you as the one who came and satisfied all. We celebrate you as the one who ushered us into the promise and into the family. God, now we get to be sons and daughters of you. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, teach us to receive the full promise. Teach us to be those who stand in this covenant. Teach us to be those who do not prolong, but those who receive. Jesus, I thank you for peace. I thank you for joy. I thank you for union with you and your spirit. I thank you for a new wine that flows through us. I thank you for all the promises and blessings. Lord, I thank you that you want to make a scene out of us. You want to bless us to the point where the whole world goes, we want that. God, our message is not heard in laws and rules and stone tablets. Our message is heard in freedom and love and joy and peace in all the things the world is hungry for. God, make us a sign and a wonder to this earth. God, let us be known for the love we have for each other. God, let us be known. Lord, I thank you that you like taking things out of darkness and into light, and we thank you that you did that with each one of us. And Lord, now your eyes are on the world. God, I thank you that you are up to good, that you are taking this world out of darkness into your wonderful light. I thank you that your plans are happening as you planned it, God. And Lord, I ask that you would make us a smart church, a wise church that would stand in your promises and do your will in this time. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have our prayer team up here. So if you're on the prayer team, go ahead and jog yourself up here. Jog, yeah, I said jog. Bill's jogging. Come on, Bill, there you go. Remember this, we have graduation today at 1.30. We have students that are graduating that have spent some time. Some of them are standing right up here right now, these two guys. But um, we would love to celebrate them as a family. So if you can make it to the graduation at 1.30 sharp, we're not going to wait for you. 
1.30 sharp, come to graduation and clap and cheer and, and listen to some of the speakers. And it'll be from 1.30 to 3 o'clock, so it's only an hour and a half long. You're not going to sit here for four hours. We'd love for you to celebrate our, our people. And then remember the Easter egg hunt next Saturday and then come to church Sunday. Bring your friends. Bring your friends. And if you're in here this morning and you feel like, you know what? I don't know Jesus. I haven't, haven't had the chance to say yes to Jesus. I'd like to talk to somebody about that. I'd like to hear more. Guess what? This entire team up here, we would love to talk with you. If you're in here this morning, don't leave without at least having a simple conversation. If you feel like, yeah, I might have known Jesus, but I've done too much, listen to the message that I just spoke. There is nothing you can do to outrun the promise of God on your life. Just come up and talk with one of us. Let's get some prayer this morning, and let's get you in a place where you're feeling the peace of heaven, where you're feeling the joy of the Father, and His love is just flooding your life, okay? So if that's you, come on up. If you need prayer for anything else, come on up. Physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing. You got something going on, you want someone to stand with you, that's what we're here for. This is what family does. Other than that, go have lunch, be the church, stand in the promise, and enjoy your life.